Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Ann Aries. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about chestnuts. Yes, tis the season for chestnuts. It is. Yeah. Yeah, that Nat King Cole song was a, was a favorite on the holiday rotation in my house growing up. My main association with it is it from the show Supernatural, which did a Christmas episode <laughs> way back in their second season, which they're in their 15th season now, you guys. So, uh, and they had that song, and they're like, it's really dark because it's a scary show, and there's a violent Santa, and it's playing that song. Oh. It really stuck with me. Oh, that's, yeah, I can see. Yeah, I'm making a face that no one, oh. Well, anyway, <laughs> I love that. I watch it every Christmas. <laughs> um, but the actual food. I do not have a lot of experience with. No? No. The first time I had chestnuts was actually, I think, two years ago. Oh, wow. When I was in Japan. And it was October. And I remember because there was a lot of fun Halloween stuff. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I was in this huge, huge sprawling market in Kyoto. And there were all kinds of foods and snacks. And roasted chestnuts were everywhere. Huh. Everywhere. So I tried one. And I was like, okay. Oh. It was good. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually one of the very, very, very few foods that I'm not fond of, particularly. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, they taste too, like, 
cloying and rich to me. Really? Like there's like a sweetness and a richness that's like too much. Oh. My brain is like, do not want. Huh. Um, yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I Yeah, my my parents, we, we literally roasted some over an open fire when I was a tiny child. <laughs> yes. um, and I was like, what is this crap? <laughs> um, like five-year-old me was not having it. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, as an, as an adult, I've tried some snacks, uh, especially, yeah, like I think Japanese snacks that have some in it. And I've mm-hmm. been like, no, no, my... Um, although I did have a dish of ravioli over at uh, uh, the Porter yes. uh, beer bar in mm-hmm. Little Five Points, anyone familiar with Atlanta, that were filled with a chestnut mixture. Mm-hmm. And those were fine. Yeah. Sounds good. I mean, it was also with like shaved Brussels sprouts and like cranberries. So right. it was like hard to go a lot wrong. Of things yeah, that I love. Mm-hmm. But, you know. I want to try them again. I'm curious if. I I would like to try them in the US and whatever people are doing around Christmas time. <laughs> I want to know what that's about. Yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try. I don't like it when I don't like food because I want to yeah. like everything. I want to eat. It I'm the all. same. I'm yeah. the same. But okay, let's get to your question. <laughs> oh yeah, chestnuts. What are they? Oh well. Uh, chestnuts are the name of uh, both a few species of uh, temperate deciduous trees and their nuts in the genus. Um, The four major species are the European, which is C. sativa, the Chinese, which is C. mollicima, the Japanese, which is C. cronata, and the American, which is C. dentata. And, yeah, these trees can vary in height from, like, 30 to 100 feet, which is around 9 to 30 meters, with these oblong leaves that come to a sharp point and have serrated edges, and they can live for hundreds of years. And this nut is our first true nut. What? I know. Where are the balloons? The confetti. Right. Oh, my God. We should have fanfare. Oh. Uh, my heart. So, uh, so, so, I, so I really officially looked it up to try to get my head around this. And the definition of true nut is that it's, it's like a fruit and seed combo unit that mm-hmm. comes in a hard and generally inedible shell that does not open on its own. Okay. Oh, no. No, never. Um, okay. So chestnuts grow like this. Uh, the trees put off these small clusters of flowers in the late spring or early summer. And the female flowers will uh, usually be clustered together in groups of three, uh, surrounded by a sort of capsule of, of these tiny bracts, which are which are stiff little flower bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Um, and when the flowers are fertilized, those three flowers will start growing into three individual nuts, um, each, uh, each, each creamy white with a chocolate brown husk and shaped sort of like cloves of garlic. Meanwhile, that spiny capsule grows with them, forming this spiky green um, sheath or or burr. And uh, when they're mature, the burrs open and drop to the ground or sometimes just drop the nuts. Huh. Mm-hmm. I have to say, uh-huh. when I saw a picture of this, I laughed aloud. <laughs> because I was like, why did we name it Dentata? And then I saw the picture... And it made sense, and I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed. Oh, okay, I see you. Yeah, yeah, because they're 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 very spiky. Yeah. They're they're very toothy looking. They are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a little bit, a little bit monstrous. Yes. Um, but so uh, once once you get this nut, okay, mm-hmm. to to eat it, you're gonna a you're gonna want to cook it somehow. But uh, in order to do that, you're gonna cut a slit or an X in the husk, and then generally boil or roast them until the flesh is tender and the husk is soft enough to be peeled off. And the uh, the flesh will be this creamy yellow, something like the texture of a cooked potato. 
Um, the flavor is rich and sweet and earthy. And yeah, they're, they're used in both savory and sweet dishes. They can be ground into a flour for soups or desserts, mashed up and fried like donuts, made into purees for pastry fillings, or added to any number of dishes for a boost of that sweet richness that mm-hmm. some people apparently enjoy. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, and those trees themselves are a hardwood. The, that wood has been used for construction and ornamentation pretty much everywhere they grow mm-hmm. around the world. Um, and uh, and that wood contains a lot of tannin, which once extracted is key in the processing of leather, of tanning. Yeah. yeah. Um, the wood has also been used to make paper. Very, very much useful. A lot of mm-hmm. things to do. What about the nutrition? Yes, we're a food show. Weird. Um, Nutrition-wise, chestnuts have a macronutrient profile more like a grain than most other culinary nuts. Um, Like, by caloric intake, they're like 88% carbohydrate. Um, But they still have like double the protein of most grains and way less fat than most nuts. So, yeah, fun, weird little in-between category that they fill. They've mm-hmm. uh, they've also got an excellent smattering of vitamins and minerals comparable to some fresh fruits or vegetables. So, yeah, like they're a little bit carb-heavy, but uh, especially paired with a bit more protein um, and other types of plant stuff, they will totally fill you up and keep you going and give your body all that stuff that it needs to, you know, body. Hey. Right? Hey, Chestnut. Yeah. All right. Good on you. <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. Uh-huh. The U.S. makes up less than 1% of global production. Most of the fresh chestnuts sold in the U.S. are imported from China, Korea, and Italy. The yearly value of chestnuts imported into the U.S. is estimated to be around $20 million. The chestnut is sometimes used in the place of potatoes, yeah, in dishes around the world, in Africa, Europe, Asia. The French call high-quality chestnuts marron. And candy them. Ooh, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in that. These days, most of American chestnut consumption does happen around the holidays, either roasted over an open fire or as an addition to stuffing slash dressing. And spottings of chestnut trees in the wild make national news. For good reasons that we will get into. We will. Mm -hmm. Um, So rare are old chestnut trees that they are named. Like when people find them, they get a name. Oh, wow. Yes. Like this is Bob. Yeah. Yeah. I hope there's a Bob out there. Oh, me too. The American Chestnut Foundation labels them as technically extinct. But yeah, that was not always the case at all. Oh, certainly not. And we will get into that after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. 
I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. <laughs> yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot -E com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So chestnuts are old. Oh, yeah. They're old. They're, they're not new. Yeah, as in up there with the first foods eaten by humans. Insert that old chestnut joke here. An old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> they were one of the first domesticated crops. C. sativa probably originated in Europe and probably specifically in Greece and or possibly China. <laughs> you know, one of those. 5,000-year-old oh. Chinese poetry mentions chestnuts, and remains of chestnuts have been found from 1,000 years 
prior to that. In areas of the Mediterranean where grain growing proved difficult, chestnuts were a fantastic option. Yeah, the ancient Romans spread them throughout their empire. And also, there's evidence from Japan dating back to a little bit later on, about 1000 CE. Yeah. Some records indicate that street vendors were selling roasted chestnuts by the 16th century CE in Rome, jumping ahead. And then C. dentata, the American variety of the chestnut tree, was known to Native Americans long before European immigrants arrived. Mm -hmm. They boiled the leaves down for medicinal purposes, and when the Europeans did arrive, they discovered just so many chestnut groves. Everywhere. Yes. Mm -hmm. At one time, the entire eastern coast of the United States was rife with chestnut trees. Several accounts exist of people living in regions with plentiful chestnut trees, and they tell of people who wrote of chestnuts helping them get through tough times. A lot of these nuts were open to anybody to forage. And plenty of them, sure. Yeah. One, quote, mountain woman said, a grove of chestnuts is a better provider than a man, easier to have around, too. I like this mountain woman. (laughs) I like her gumption. (laughs) I do, too. (laughs) Other accounts claimed that in some forests during chestnut season, inches of chestnuts accumulated. Whoa. People made use of them in puddings, ground them up into flour for cakes and breads, or just ate them plain old roasted. They were fed to pigs and cows and believed to impart superior taste to the meat. The wood was preferred by woodworkers for crafts and log cabins, and many a main square was shaded by chestnut trees. Over 1,000 places in the Appalachia had chestnut in the name. In some parts of that region, chestnuts were used as currency. Children called chestnuts shoe money because at the start of the school year, children got their nuts together to buy shoes. Oh. Yeah. Some historians sometimes informally dub roasted chestnuts as America's first fast food. Huh. Imagine that. They were also a popular treat with horticulturists. Uh, Thomas Jefferson experimented with grafts of American and European chestnuts at Monticello in 1773, just for example. But, uh, yeah, other folks were bringing in other varieties um, throughout the 1800s. And this led to the creation and propagation of a lot of varietals up through the early 1900s. With the advent of steamboats and completion of railroads in the 1860s, Kentucky was able to sell some of their plentiful chestnuts. They were available in general stores through door-to-door salespeople. At its height in 1914, Virginia's cash crop supply of chestnuts was over 2 million pounds. Oof. And this brings us to a huge event in America's chestnut history. Blight. The blight. The blight. Mm-hmm. Japanese chestnut trees carrying fungus spread. This fungus spread, and it eventually nearly eradicated the American chestnut tree population, which at the time numbered around 4 billion. Oof. The infection might have set in earlier in the 1890s, but it wasn't reported on until 1904. Um, yeah, it was first described by employees at the Bronx Zoo, so it's sometimes reported to have come from there and then in 1904. But it's more likely that a number of trees were brought into various areas in the Northeast with the infection. Right. This fungus attached to animal fur and bird feathers, and they love chestnuts too. One written anecdote from the time advised that you had to get to the tree, the chestnut tree, before the turkeys do if you wanted to get your hands on some chestnuts. (laughs) Point being, they help spread it far and wide, this fungus. Yeah, and uh, the, the the way that this blight works is that the fungus creates a lot of oxalic acid, which uh, which eats away at the trees enough to let the fungus in to, to feed and grow in the tree's tissue, which which causes these these cankers that kill everything around them and prevent 
any part of the tree above the infection line from, you know, getting nutrients from the roots uh, and effectively leaving you with a stump. Um, New shoots will grow from those stumps, forming this sort of, like, sad shrub that's also vulnerable to the fungus. Um, But, yeah, it prevents the tree from really growing or, or producing nuts. By the 1910s, state commissions were formed around this issue. These commissions pushed farmers to chop down trees plagued by blight. A paper out of Honesdale, Pennsylvania, implored, Woodman, burn that tree. Spare not a single bough. The Boy Scouts got involved in several states tasked with searching forests for blighted trees in the hopes of creating a blight-free zone. But all of these initiatives proved unsuccessful. In the 1920s, the Bismarck Daily Tribune reported, Efforts to stop the spread of this bark disease have been given up. $400 million. That was the value the paper estimated the trees were worth 10 years later. Oh, wow. 10 years earlier, yeah. Oof. The Daily Tribune wrote that this amounted to the loss of a conspicuous and beautiful feature of the landscape in this country and went on to lament, schoolboys of the future who read the poem of the village blacksmith will ask, what is a chestnut tree? And the poem in reference is one by Longfellow. Yeah. Also of note, this was especially devastating because it coincided with the Great Depression. A North Carolina lumberman wrote in the 1930s, Certainly nothing could be more unsightly than the gaunt and naked trunks of these dead trees, standing like skeletons in every vista which the eye turns. The U.S. Department of Agriculture began trying to develop a resistant chestnut hybrid in the 1930s, but despite decades of trying, they were unable to find a solution and shut down in the 1980s. Wow. Yeah. The 1980s. 85% of the chestnut trees located in the Great Smoky Mountains had died off by 1940. Just a few groves in California and the Pacific Northwest survived. With the arrival of the 1950s, most of our chestnut tree population was gone. Botanists call this one of the greatest botanical disasters in our history. Someone who grew up in Kentucky during that time wrote, I thought the whole world was going to die. Whoa. Yeah. This was a hugely important product for food, for shelter, for income, and it was just gone. Wow. Yeah. But But let's turn it around. (laughs) Yeah, what about that connection to the holidays, Annie? (laughs) Well, Lauren, it's blight. (laughs) No. Uh, As mentioned, (laughs) chestnuts do ripen in the Thanksgiving to Christmas season. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, they they bloom late spring, early summer, ripen, Mm -hmm. fall to early winter. Yeah. Right. And papers would depict train cars full of them rolling into big cities just in time for the holiday season. The Christmas song, uh, Chestnuts Roasting Over an Open Fire, debuted in the 20th century with that classic line. Nat King Cole was the first to make it famous in 1946. It was actually written by Mel Torme. Well, there you go. There you go. Chestnuts have played a role in other Christian traditions before this. Mm-hmm. On the Feast of St. Martin's Day, they were given to the poor as a representation of sustenance. And in Tuscany, they were eaten for St. Simon's Day. A wedding tradition on Corsica calls for chestnuts prepared 22 different ways at a wedding feast. I would love to hear more about this if any listeners yeah. have experience. Oof. Early Christians thought that chestnuts were symbolic of chastity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The American Chestnut Foundation was founded in 1983 with a mission of restoring the American chestnut population to its former number. There were 6,000 members by 1989, and that year they started a breeding program. Corn geneticist Charles Burnham, reading about the shutdown of the U.S. government hybrid program we mentioned earlier, realized they'd made a major misstep in ignoring back crossing. So, scientists in the U.S. haven't given up on the chestnut tree. Nope. 
They're experimenting with breeding American and resistant to blight Chinese chestnut trees and then crossing the resulting specimen with pure American chestnut trees. Some scientists are working on sequencing the DNA of American chestnut trees and the blight. Yeah, and one of the ideas that's come out of that research is that we could genetically engineer American chestnut trees that essentially de-weaponize this fungus by uh, by creating an enzyme that breaks down that oxalic acid that the fungus produces. And so, yeah, uh, and they've successfully created trees like this. The, the gene responsible for creating the enzyme comes from bread wheat. Researchers have been working on this since 1990, um, but it's only being seriously considered for distribution, like in the wild, this year. Um, and it is, to be fair, a really tangly topic attempting to reforest with a genetically modified organism. But, mm-hmm. but the researchers say that the modified trees don't harm local bees or helpful fungi or tadpoles. So looks good, maybe. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they can't just introduce um, those blight-resistant genes from the Chinese chestnuts into the American chestnuts because – it's like a whole suite of genes. Right. It's not like a couple genes that you could just be like, boop, boop. Yeah. Um, it's a whole tangled it's web. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. It is. Another tactic being studied involves infecting trees with a virus that could potentially kill the blight. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. I know. It feels like a good backfire, but okay. <laughs> 500 blight-resistant American chestnut trees were planted in 2008 and 2009. Scientists are also interested in the chestnut tree's ability to sequester carbon dioxide and reclaim coal land. Yeah, I've read that. A lot of uh, uh, land that was previously used for strip mining, mm-hmm. um, chestnut trees would be a particularly good use of the nutrients that are still in that soil and in uh, restoring that land to something usable. Yeah. I had no idea. Me neither. I had no idea. This blew my mind that they these trees used to be everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Eastern Eastern Seaboard, yeah. certainly. Like, yeah. like, they were never very populous outside of the East. Right. But, whoof. And just gone. Just gone. And I've always kind of wondered about it because the, the line in that song, I would think. They're everywhere. Are, yeah. Or why, why is that even in the song? Why, what? <laughs> and now it makes so much more sense. Uh, sad. It is, I got bummed out about yeah. this, the guy when he was like, children in the next generation won't know. Won't know. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and they sound like really glorious trees. They do. And the and I, I was so like one of the small rabbit holes that I pulled myself out of was uh was about uh, woodworking some of the woodwork in houses from the turn of the twentieth century mm-hmm. uh, and how common chestnut hardwood floors and and other fixtures were right and how like that's a really good sign that a house is from before a certain point because after that point right yep yep. <laughs> this has been a happy holiday episode. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, though. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot more. I, Because I didn't know this was such a huge event in American history, I'm sure there's a lot more when it comes to Japan and China and other places than the U.S. Yeah, they're also grown in Korea, and it sounds like there's a lot of really interesting information about, like, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we kind of focused in on this because we were like, oh, wait, yeah, disaster. <laughs> and there were so much resources on yeah. it, so many mm-hmm. papers written about it. So <laughs> now you know, if you didn't before, uh, same for me, lessons, <laughs> always learning. Um, yeah, that's about what we have to say with the chestnut. We do have a little bit more for you, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Listener mail. It's hard to do Nat King Cole with the listener mail. It's, yeah. <laughs> we gave it the old college try. <laughs> <laughs> William wrote, just got done listening to the coffee cast. And as always, it was awesome. As a trucker, coffee is kind of lifeblood. Keeps me going with my unpredictable sleep schedule. I go in for some good stuff, often ordering single-source organic and fair trade coffee online from small independent roasters, and have a percolator, espresso maker, and a mocha pot on board the rig to make my <laughs> keto fatty joes. <laughs> I make some awesome coffee drinks on the truck. One day, I needed an especially strong brew after a rough night with limited sleep and made a sugarless salted caramel fat latte with about five shots of espresso and a nice foamy top. Unfortunately, when I got out of the truck to check my refer unit, my dog Gerbil managed to get the (laughs) lid off my coffee mug and helped herself to quite a large portion of my latte. Oh, no. I now know what a dog might look like when going all breaking bad. I practically had to peel the little monster off the ceiling for the next 300. Miles <laughs> managed to get a pic of her while she was all tweaked out on caffeine. I now have a coffee mug with a screw top <laughs> lid. <laughs> also, including a pic of a recent addition to the truck because I know you all did critters. Had an unplanned kitten seat when Aww. I found a baby cat in the bumper of the truck while my dog doing a morning pre trip. Her name is Bumper, and she, he did send pictures, and they are adorable. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh. And I love this coffee setup on your truck. Right? Gosh, yes. that's fancier than I have in my house. I know. Oh. It's way fancier than what I have in my house. <laughs> uh, uh, aspirations, yes. Jen wrote, while listening to your episode on escargot today, I was instantly brought back to my 2007 trip to Morocco, where snails are a common dish. My first encounter with them was in the souks in Fez, where they are sold live, like in this crawling mass. In one massive market amidst the hundreds of stalls and the monkey and snake handlers, there's a row of half a dozen little stands all selling snails boiled in broth. The snails are sold in little bowls with a little bit of broth, and you sit at stools around the kiosk. A very hot dog stand kind of vibe. You eat the snails by pulling the meaty bits out with a toothpick. There's quite a bit of meat in there. I found the taste quite similar to mussels or clams, with perhaps a more earthy and less oceany flavor. Of course, the broth is a big contributor to the taste, but the simple preparation really allows you to taste the genuine flavor of the snails. I've never had proper French escargot, but we used to sell it at the semi-fancy grocery store I worked at in university, and it always looked like a nauseating amount of butter in there. I would highly suggest trying the boiled snails if you ever get the chance. Morocco has some other amazing dishes. Tagine pastilla, I think that's how you'd pronounce it, uh, which is a meat pie, she says, dusted with uh, sugar and cinnamon and sometimes made with pigeon. Mint tea and, of course, the endless souks filled with every type of food imaginable, including camel meat. Worthy of another podcast trip, perhaps? Yes. 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 Let's go right now. Uh Okay. (laughs) Goodbye! (laughs) Time for our new trip. She also sent pictures... And they were great. 
Oh. Fantastic. Uh-huh. So many snails. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to both of those listeners for writing to us. If you would like to write to us, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. And yes, we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Happy Pride. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. I'm here to tell you about Lambda Legal. For more than 50 years, Lambda Legal has been in court protecting the civil rights of LGBTQ plus people and everyone living with HIV. And the good news is you can help. Support Lambda Legal's work by donating this Pride Month. Throughout June, all donations up to $100,000 will be matched. To donate, go to lambdalegal.org. That's L-A-M-B-D-A legal.org. Help Lambda Legal remain unstoppable.